Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast, release date the 31st of July, 2022. Hello, good evening. My name is Oscar Hammerstein, and this is one of my latest creations. The guitar is flat, so we won't bother. <laughs> no, I'm no stranger, thank goodness, because I really love working with with this particular company. I love doing these uh, the CDs, any kind of CDs that they produce, and I'm asked to be, and I really love doing, and I mean that. Welcome to this week's edition of the Big Finish podcast, presented by my good friend Benji Clifford. Hello. Hello. And me, Nick Briggs. Uh, if you're a follower of Doctor Who and or Big Finish, you can hardly have failed to notice that we've just had a terrible week. Two titans of our shared worlds have sadly left the stage. First, David Warner, famous for so many groundbreaking film and theatre roles, and latterly a much-loved fixture of countless Big Finish audio drama productions. And I mean much-loved by audiences and those of us who worked with him. Then came the sad news that we'd also lost Bernard Cribbins, known to Doctor Who fans globally as Wilfred Mott, grandfather to Catherine Tate's Donna Noble. And as Benji and I particularly cherish, he was Special Constable Tom Campbell to Peter Cushing's Doctor Who in that glorious spin-off movie, Dalek's Invasion Earth, 2150 AD. In 2006, director Barnaby Edwards was smart enough to cast Bernard in a Big Finish Eighth Doctor adventure, ahead of his role in the TV series, as tour manager Arnold Corns in Horror of Glam Rock, written by acclaimed author Paul Mars. So, if you'll forgive us for stripping away all the bells and whistles of our usual podcast lineup, we don't want to be over solemn or even dreary or mawkish, but we wanted to pay our deep felt respects to both of these great performers. I know they were both the kind of people who wouldn't want anyone to wallow in sadness, but I have to confess to a personal melancholy relating to all this that just makes me feel it would be plain wrong for me to be bouncing around making my usual silly remarks. We'll hopefully return to normal service next week, but for now, we pay tribute. Firstly, let's talk about David Warner, Benji, you met him on a few occasions, didn't you? I have, yes. I met him just just really, you know, <laughs> brief encounters. But at the times I met him, I, I always found that um, because you see him in a lot of roles and he has this fantastic ability, certainly in a lot of things, to have a, quite a formidable stance when, yeah, when yeah. acting in certain things. He's got a fantastic face and a fantastic ability to be able to just turn things within a split second yes so of yes, course definitely. You, you you approach him with this element of slight uh even though you you know that you separate the role from the actor yeah. you still have this element in your mind of being slightly fearful and i just remember i knew it from what everybody else had said but he's just a really nice man and just so the opposite of what you imagine and he's just you know funny and kind and nice and has a lovely energy about him yes and um i suppose it's one of those things really isn't it it's you know it's meeting your heroes isn't it and saying you know never meet your heroes but on this occasion it was just so nice to 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 understand just why everybody has so many lovely things to say about him because he's just such a a great guy and a great actor yeah as really well great yeah you know i he's just i i posted on, on twitter and, and i really for this kind of sums it up for me is that no matter what he was in if he was in something it it brought a level of legitimacy to whatever it was you'd see it you think oh this is going to be good because yeah, David Warner's yeah. in it you know it had that element to it yeah I can't even remember when I first met him I don't know whether it was through Big Finish or whether it was through doing uh, Nebulous the Radio 4 comedy series that I directed for three series of it. And he played the recurring villain, Dr. Clench, who just, you know, who <laughs> who had... His catchphrase was to say things to death, you know, so uh, go and fetch him. Fetch him to death, say yes to death, you know. <laughs> sort of, uh, and I can't remember whether it was there or through when he did uh, Sympathy for the Devil, uh, which we'll mention later, uh, which was him playing the, the unbound Doctor. Uh, and I've just got so many little anecdotes about working with him and chatting to him that I really just don't know where to begin, to be quite honest. The one I tell in the, the Big Finish news story, if people haven't read that, that was when I think we were doing Sapphire and Steel and we went to lunch at a local pub 
which is what we used to do in those days. And suddenly I'm chatting to him and suddenly he seemed to become quite irate and said, are you in charge here? And I went, uh, yes. And he went, right, I want to work with you. And I was like, OK. And he was like, no, come here. And he got up and made me walk away <laughs> behind a sort of pillar in this pub so no one else could see or hear us. And he said, now, listen. I thought, oh, my God, what have we done wrong? He said, I want to do a lot more of this. So how is this going to happen? And I said, oh, well, yeah, no, fine. He said, I want to, I'd like to do it every day, actually. I really like it. <laughs> And the other thing I mentioned is that he had that way of, he'd go, you know, you know. He would, he would, it's quite often the kind of person who'd talk, talk to you about something and never actually say it because he, he'd go, I don't have to tell you, do, do I? You know, you know. <laughs> uh, which is why I ended my piece for the Big Finish News saying, uh, well, I don't have to tell you, you know. He was one of the greats. You know, you know. Um, yeah, just, uh, just, uh, yeah, goodness me, adorable person. And, um, I remember so many people being thrilled to meet him. I remember Tracy Ann Oberman coming into the studio and saying, David Warner's going to be in this, isn't he? Yes, yeah, she said, is it all right for me to ask him about the omen? I said, well, I suppose <laughs> so. Uh, and then she she sort of was very friendly to him when he came in and she said, can we have a photograph taken? And so, yeah, we took a photograph of the two of them together. And then she said, let me see, let me see. She said, no, that's no good. And she said to David, make it look like you like me. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, well, okay, all right then. Yeah, well, I think very- the thing with it as well, though, is, is, is and you, you touched on it there, is that so many people loved him and wanted to meet him. Yeah. And I think what's really struck me is, is because he's been involved in so many different things and so many different franchises, that there are fan bases from all different, areas of of the entertainment world you know be that doctor who which is our little avenue you know the star trek world see the horror community with his stuff in the omen but also even things like dungeons and dragons where he played one of their video games he played a villain a fantastic role of this villain and i knew it was him immediately as soon as i I played it a long time ago heard that voice i was david warner great job but i saw a post from from them you know commemorating him and you realize that that is where you know that is where somebody's has you know they've stretched out and just far and wide yeah impacted so many people yeah it is um yeah it is incredible the impact he's had and how so many of us are you know just moved by his death Uh, i just um yeah it's it's had a profound effect upon me and so many of the people i know and of course, not least of all, Lisa Bauman, his partner, you know, who ended up working so closely with him on the um, the Bernie Summerfield range, you know, with his Unbound Doctor. And as uh, on that point, a uh, little bit of script here. Now, most big Finnish followers probably know David for playing our Unbound Doctor, as introduced in Sympathy for the Devil, written by Jonathan Clements and directed by Gary Russell in 2003. And, and uh, there'll be a mention of that later. As many of you will know, David was quite shy of interviews. But when I cast him as the intergalactic tycoon who likes eating chips with brown sauce, uh, called Cuthbert, not the brown sauce, the character, uh, he was persuaded to say a few words across the three double CD stories in which the character featured opposite the Doctor as played by the ever-brilliant Tom Baker. Okay, so they're walking along here. Here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. And cute. So tell me, how long have you worked for your finance minister? Long enough. As long as that. <laughs> I'll t- I t- tell you what, I'll get David Warner in. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. Hello again, Doctor. So you two gentlemen do know each other. For the historical record, I am known throughout the 59 civilized star systems as Cuthbert. I am the CEO of the foremost commercial enterprise in the galaxy. Romana, reactivate the stabilizer. Destiny, Doctor. Destiny awaits. Readings indicate another quantum gateway nearby. He's trying to escape. Mr. H, do you have the faintest idea what they're going on? Not the faintest, sir. No, neither have I. The mighty uh, David Warner 
who's got us in convulsions with his malice, yeah. I was a bit wary that David has played a lot of villains in his time, and I'd had an inkling from those who know him that uh, he was maybe a little tired of that. Um, so I asked warily, but he, he read the script and liked it so much, I think I can say that um, he actually, he was engaged in a rather big, important BBC production at the time, and he sort of made them adjust their dates in order to fit with this which I was massively flattered by I mean you know it's David Warner of course he can change things um and he's he's just David is just so lovely and it's 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 brilliant that someone who plays someone so horrible is actually as a person so lovely and so self-effacing you know painfully modest really but uh but delightful nonetheless well you Gone and bleeding, done it now, haven't you, you stupid... I really, I really don't think you should be addressing your president quite like that, Cuthbert, do you? And you could sense before uh, David arrived that Tom's, you know, excitement at, at, uh, at the prospect of working with him, and of course they got on extremely well, and uh, it, it was lovely, lovely to hear them working together. Now stand down. Let them go where they like. You'll never get there in time anyway, Doctor. You'd better pray we do, Cuthbert. Come on, Romana, quickly. I can tell that all the other actors here, everybody enjoys it. I mean, this marvellous presence of David Warner. And when I think of David Warner, actually, you know, of his absolutely epoch-making Hamlet, and his, you know, he, he and he did a Lear a couple of years ago, and he's done such a lot of films and everything like that, and he obviously enjoys himself just as much doing this as he did when he was doing The Omen. Oh dear, seems his precious lion have killed him. I'm David Warner, and I'm playing Cuthbert. I have to be honest with you and say that uh, when Big Finish comes with something, I try and say, please don't make it just your standard, you know, kill him villain. And this is what Cuthbert isn't, you know. He has a bit of a personality of his own. Because many villains just don't have personalities. Their job is just to be there so that the, the good guys and gals can get on with doing the job and have somebody there. Uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't... Ex there's nothing to explore, really, in the character, except that he's not... He's just a little bit more than your standard... Um, nasty person he's got a bit of humor and he's uh, he's got a sidekick and and all that kind of stuff but we must never forget it is doctor who it's not cuthbert is that creature still sedated it is sir yes well i'll get it down to the science division pronto hello my name's toby haydock when i got the email from the estimable david richardson asking if i would be interested i think i was just a tom baker the villain is David Warner and he's got a sidekick and that would be you uh, and so you go absolutely fine and uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it I was the Mosca to uh, David Warner's Volpony which is what I'll put on my CV oh Mr Dorick it's you sir I I was hoping it was going to be someone from the kitchens with the brown sauce for these wretched chips I've only really just learnt that it's a recurring character which thrills me more than I can tell you I just love turning up and doing it. I mean, I've done interviews before where I've said this and I have no reason to change now. Uh, yes, I'm really, really looking forward to being a recurring character in this, absolutely. How many times have I told them no chips without brown sauce? Your leaders turn down our repeated offers of help and instead you persist with these irritating missile attacks on us. Now, I was prepared to turn a blind eye to these mere pinpricks, but over time, the level of attacks have become an intolerable drain on our time and resources. And so, I was forced to employ the services of my good friends, the Daleks. Any poor choice of friends. The word villain I always sort of run away from. So, uh, yes, he, he's, a, he's a recurring figure. Uh, I think it's, there's a, there is a humorous side to him. I mean, when people say the villain, then you say, oh, well, David Warner will get him in, play the villain. Always like to try and have a little bit of uh, something different to that. So I would say is um, a bit of comedy in there as well, I hope, as well as being just the, you know, the reverse side of our heroes. Oh, come on, come on. Ah, at last. Come in. It's always good, you know, he's one of the foils for the hero. And we know who the hero is. I don't even have to mention the name. Uh, uh, and that's it. And um, as I say, just there to bounce off and have fun and ideas. I mean, you know, the ideas of, of whatever the episode's about. It is fascinating so far. I'll leave you to it. Uh, where are you going, sir? 
Oh, the rescue team just arrived to escort Mr. Sanders to safety. They advised me there was another way out. Oh, up there. Um, um, uh, bye. E by gum. Sorry, sorry, folks. It's my kind of stuck answer when I talk to Big Finish people who who are interested in Big Finish. Is I always enjoy working and coming to work for Big Finish. So it was great to be uh, a um, offered something with Tom in in his series of doctor stories and also when I play a part like this I, I, I like the humour I like if I'm playing a heavy or a heavy-ish character I, I enjoy it being a little bit lighter than just saying kill him get him and that kind of stuff so it's just a bit of I mean I, I like the fun of it bearing in mind that it isn't real and what have you been up to with this finance minister? Oh, getting a conglomerate contract signed, that's all. Ah, uh, what are you trying and to... And what have you been up to with your TARDIS, Doctor, eh? Knocking down buildings? I'm not a, I was never a great Doctor Who uh, follower during all, all the transitions and all the Doctors. I mean, um, Patrick Troughton was, was my kind of era, but I never... I wasn't kind of as knowledgeable as some people I've met are. So, but I, I, ha I did start watching for some reason w w when, um, when Matt took over and I enjoyed what he was doing with it. So it was great suddenly to be uh, asked to be in it. Uh, Mark Gatiss, who is a, is a friend, uh, just sort of got in touch um, eventually and said, I think it's about time you were in one because everybody I know has been in a Doctor Who and I hadn't. And people say, are you ever going to be in one? And I, I said, well, it's not up to me. It's not up to me. So it's very nice to have, have a chance. And, and, and Matt and Jenna were absolutely lovely. We'll be returning to David Warner a little bit later on in the podcast with an interview he gave whilst playing Sir Isaac Newton <laughs> in the fifth Doctor story, Circular Time by Paul Cornell and Mike Maddox, and directed by John Ainsworth, recorded in 2006 and released in January 2007. But now uh, let's turn to Bernard Cribbins, who, of course, we also sadly lost last week. Uh, you didn't meet him, did you? Well, I was, I was talking to you uh, about this before uh, recording this, and um, mm. I didn't meet him. But the thing is, and I think this... I can speak for a lot of people is that he's be he's been such a constant force in everybody's lives yes. for such a long time that I kind of feel like I I, I feel like I did know him. Yeah, because yeah, I think you know, that's dear the trick, old, isn't it? Yeah, it is, dear old Bernard. He's just he was just such a, and I use this word like a f a force for positivity. Mm. In that he he always will bring a smile to your face, whatever he's in, you know, even Doctor Who and things like that. He's yeah. just you know just lovely, a lovely, lovely man. I mean, last night I um I sat down and watched uh, the Hotel Inspectors episode of Forty Towers. <laughs> he in is that. amazing in that as the annoying man who they think is the Hotel Inspector, but he's just actually an annoying man, just a really <laughs> the annoying man. feast. Oh, it's so... On the BBC it, Two channel. <laughs> for the duration of this programme. Um, you know, he's just so... You know, it was a wonderful thing to watch. His performance in that is brilliant. And he, I could tell just little things he was doing that they weren't scripted. He was adding little little elements to the performance in himself. And, you know, you see things like, oh, that's very Bernard Cribbins. But he was just brilliant at it, just constantly prodding you know john cleese yes. just getting just really getting in and being as irritating as possible and i was you know i've always loved that episode anyway but watching it you know really sitting there and saying i just want to watch bernard cribbins in this and i just i loved it i thought it was absolutely fantastic but it's a huge loss and it's it's yeah. it's incredibly sad and you He's know a damn I, good actor wasn't he and actually uh you know did, there was a lot of variety in what he did you know absolutely he could play serious roles he was i thought he was particularly good in she have you seen that yes wow yes really yes, good absolutely. that was the first yeah. time he worked with peter cushing i think which is you know why he was so happy working with peter cushing on daleks invasion earth 2150 ad i think the thing about bernard which really struck me because to me like you're saying he's he was an icon 
to me he was he was the guy in the the railway and children amazing yeah. in that part and that's what all the news bulletins were leading on last week certainly on the bbc and the voice of the wombles and oh you know he also used to do the <laughs> the hornby train commercials where he was <laughs> superimposed on little trains going i said hello it's me i'm hornby sized again he used to say <laughs> um uh you know just and loads of voiceovers as well oh, uh, gosh, yes. uh, and so you kind of think well i i'm here am i at the foot of mount olympus and you know mount olympus is not going to notice me but the funny thing about bernard and i bet loads of people would confirm this i don't know it for sure but i'm sure they will because there's nothing special about me he always remembered your name you know he did that thing for big good, finish yeah. in 2006 and when i met him on set doing doctor who on the telly I, you know I didn't have to introduce myself to him because he, he remembered who I was hello Nick you know straight away and he was always like that and I would and especially it's a bit patronising to say you know because he was getting older I thought you don't expect him to remember me and yet there were several occasions you know uh, one of them was at David Tennant's wedding party which was as you can probably imagine a massive affair <laughs> at Shakespeare's uh, globe uh, building there on different levels and everything and it was packed with people all of whom were famous most of whom were famous I should say and uh, I remember just sort of looking around one of the crowded floors where people were helping themselves to buffet food and I saw Bernard Cribbins and I think I was with my wife. I don't know whether she was off looking after our son. And I and I sort of saw him. Oh, Bernard Cribbins over there, and quite a long way away. And he just happened to turn around and he scanned the room. And and I and he saw me and he went, "Hi, Nick!" He called Aww. out to me. There were so many faces looking at him, and he called out my name. And I just thought, "This is incredible." And I felt like someone had snuck up to him and said, "Nick Briggs is over there," and he's a bit touchy about people not knowing his name or something. You know, <laughs> but he knew. It. And yeah. Yeah, it, and it happened again on the, um, I don't know whether this is before or after, my time uh, span's all messed up, uh, at the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who when there was that famous terrible live broadcast, you know, that all went well. wrong. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But they had got all the Doctor Who companions there. It was a huge city. achievement yeah, to yeah. do that, yeah. And they also asked me, they also asked me, uh, they said to my agent, he's going to be interviewed live and they want him to do some Dalek voice stuff. So I said, right, so he has to bring all the gubbins with him, the ring modulator and the mixer and the microphone, the little speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to go and speak to the soundsmen about it, and they were very unhelpful. And uh, they weren't the normal, you know, BBC soundmen, whoever they were. Um, and uh, anyway, so, and then there was nowhere for me to sit. And so they were kind of, oh, just over there, then go over there. So I had to take all this stuff and set it up. And it was next to Bernard Crimmins. He said, yeah, come and sit here, Nick. Come and sit here. So I thought, he remembered my name straight away. And he kept looking at it and saying, oh, that's nice. Why, why don't we have one of those and all this kind of stuff? And then at the end of the program, of course, those of you who remember watching it, I was not was not only not interviewed and uh, or I was not asked to do any Dalek voice stuff. And that's the credits Classic. for rolling. Bernard turned to me and said, but you're glad you brought all that with you, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> really made me laugh. I was just like, we both rolled our eyes. He's going, oh, God. But nothing would phase Bernard, you see. He's so used to showbiz. Just a oh, pro. Well, he's an old pro, isn't he? You know, yeah. he's one of those one of those stars from sort of the old variety days as well, in which he kind of had that level of just inbuilt professional sort of knowledge of of the industry and just and yeah. knowing how to entertain people well yeah the whole, the whole singing and dancing thing there's a lovely clip of him that someone put on twitter of him doing the good old days of him oh, get, wow. getting uh, uh, the audience to sing along with him to the marrow song you know the marrow song oh what a beauty <laughs> i've never seen one as big as that before and he's doing all the you know stamping on the floor and kind of clapping and getting them getting quite a reluctant audience to sing along with him you know Legend. he was doing an amazing job you know like uh, swiveling around and waving his hands in the air you know excellent it's lovely to see well, I, I saw this great bit of footage. It was on Twitter that somebody posted. Uh, I, I, it might have been the Railway Children. I can't remember off, off the top of my head. But it was uh, they, on location. Uh, somebody brought a Super 8 film camera along. And they said that, you know, when they were filming people, the actors, they might do a, the odd wave. Yes. But Bernard Cribbins absolutely just went in and to have a good time and it was just lovely, just really fun, lovely little thing of he yeah. was pretending he was pretending to play golf. 
and just goofing around doing this funny thing where he had a dodgy leg and you know and of course ends with the classic thing of you know falling backwards but he said but that was him all over is that you know whilst everybody else was happy to kind of give the odd wave and just not give too much of themselves he absolutely just went in to to entertain and to make people laugh and that's just such a lovely trait i think yeah I have some nice memories of how uh, it must have been Journey's End, that uh, Doctor Who story. And we we would often go back in the same car, you know, a number of us and, and Bernard would be there and, you know, uh, not on ceremony, just all crammed in the same car, probably slightly too many of us. You know, and I remember he was talking about how he had joked with Russell that, you know, if I ever meet a Dalek, I reckon if you just get a paint gun and fire it at the eye, it won't be able to see anymore. <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, of course, he says <laughs> he does that to the Dalek. And then the Dalek says, my vision is not impaired. It fizzes. It's just is finally. But great. Yeah, that was a great moment as well. But I think what's lovely about his Doctor Who stuff I mean, obviously, we could talk about the Dalek thing, you know, 2150 AD. We could talk about that forever. But I think what is really nice is that people of a certain generation, young people as well, who might not be familiar with his previous work, you know, than some of us who, you know, have grown up with it. I think it's so lovely that there are people out there who can see, you know, him in Doctor Who as Wilf and... and that is their memory and it still means so much to so many people regardless yes. of their age and even you know his stuff on the cbb stuff oh yeah i you, used you to know, watch that is, what was it called jack's boat was it? jack's, boat, jack's yeah. boat yeah which the BB, bbc caption type uh, uh typed as jack's boot uh, <laughs> on the news <laughs> i thought they're so good aren't they aren't they well i did there was one there was one obituary that they described him as the villain in the omen and my friend Cuthbert said no that's the the opposite <laughs> he's he's not the villain in the piece at all if anything he's trying to stop the villain you know that who, was who are we talking some... about now Bernard Cribbins or David Warner oh that was David Warner sorry but yes <laughs> um but yeah that was you know it was the, the things written in you know articles yes. and stuff and you think what what come on get your facts right i know people were working fast i suppose and listen yeah, as, I, as I mentioned earlier uh, bernard played arnold corns in horror of glam rock for us back in 2006 here he is in his first scene If you sit in there long enough, you'll get to see all the stars there are. <laughs> Best sausage and chips you'll ever get. It just looks like a grassy old motorway services. Yeah, but Trisha, love, look at me. Who'd have thought I was the most dynamic and powerful manager in the biz? Oh, I would, Arnold. Yeah, all right, love, not while I'm driving. Just you wake your brother up, tell him we're getting out, stretch our legs. Tommy! Come on, sweetheart. Tommy! I think he's in one of his trances, Arnold. Trances? I'll give him trances. Tell him to stir himself. We're pulling in before this weather gets any more inclement. It's like the call of the bleeding wild out there. And as I feel so lucky, actually, back in those days, I instigated the policy of having behind-the-scenes interviews. You know, before all that, that, that wasn't the, you know, the big finish story would end, and that would be it. I, I listened to those Not old anymore. stories and think... <gasps> Why is there nothing there? Uh, we were lucky enough to capture some of Bernard's best anecdotes on my microphone. <laughs> um, you may have heard some of them before, but boy, is it lovely hearing them be uh, related again uh, to guitar accompaniment back in 2006 when he was a mere spring chicken in his late 70s. Hello, good evening. My name is Oscar Hammerstein and this is one of my latest creations. The guitar is flat, so we won't bother. <laughs> you be careful not to play anything copyright while you're... Uh, I won't. 
So how did this uh, job come about for you? I've no idea. I just opened the newspaper, I saw it advertised, and uh, I thought I could do that. And I heard the lunches were very good as well. Indeed, so that's why I am here. <laughs> did the lunch turn out? Uh, the lunch was, was extremely good. I think the lunch is better than the play, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. No. No, I'm enjoying it enormously. It's... Uh, it's nice to see a few people I hadn't seen for a while, like you, and, and uh, I haven't worked with Paul before, and it's all trotting along very well. Did you see the script beforehand, uh, before no, you agreed? Uh, uh, oh, indeed, yes. It, yes, it was sent down to me. I looked at it and said yes immediately. Yeah, no, it's good. Good script. And that was without having the lunch described? That was, no lunch was mentioned at that time, <laughs> which, is, which is quite extraordinary, really. I mean, oh. I accepted the job on the, on the, purely on the script. And the lunch is a lovely bonus. And this guitar they've given me is quite nice. Yes. Have you, you haven't got it tuned yet? No, not no. quite, no, but no. it doesn't matter. I sing out of tune anyway, so it probably balances quite nicely. <laughs> what about Doctor Who? Well, uh, it's not your first brush with it, is it? No, it's not. No, I did a, I did a movie in uh, somewhere in the 60s, 68, I think it was, with um, lovely Peter Cushing as the Doctor. I think it was at the time when... Dalek, Dalek it was. It was Daleks Invade Earth 2150 or whatever it was called, yeah. Roy Castle, God bless him, had done the previous one. Um, and then he either wasn't available or he wasn't, you know, it was too short for the uniform. I got the job. <laughs> and, uh, and we had a great time on it. I got into terrible trouble with uh, Gordon Fleming, the director, because the Dalek voices, the guys inside the Daleks operating, had to know the lines in order to cooperate with the live actors. And one of the guys, Bob Jewell, was Australian. And he used to get this, you will be exterminated, coming out. <laughs> and I'd, I'd gone every single time, you see. I just went and Gordon Fleming, for God's sake, growling and snarling at me for the whole day we were working in the spaceship with these guys. Yeah, <laughs> was it a fun. good experience working on the It was, right it was here? lovely. I enjoyed it enormously. And there were a lot of mates on it. Ray Brooks was on it and uh, Cushing, of course. It was great fun. Jill Curzon. I was sort of, yes, nearly the hero, yes. It wasn't exactly the hero, but sort of, yes. He was a policeman who got knocked on the head and then found himself in the TARDIS, you know, and then away he went. And then then was reverted back to that very same moment, except a minute before, so he could then catch the crooks. It was one of those, you know. (laughs) Yes, yes. Excellent stuff. They gave you your own sort of comedy scene with the Robomen. That's right. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I enjoyed that, because a lot of that was sort of ad libby, you know. Yes, all those terrible pills we had to keep popping and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, so you're, you're reminding me of that. See, yeah. I'd forgotten a lot of that. CD extras. When John Pertwee was leaving it, there were a lot of interviews um, with Barry Letts, I think, was the producer. And I went along to be interviewed with a view to perhaps playing Doctor Who. I would love to have done it, I must say. But... Uh, we were nattering, and he was saying, "Well, uh, I know, you know, what else you've done, but in the theatre and da da da." He said, "What else can you do?" I said, "Well, I was a paratrooper, and I can, you know, I can rush about and roll around the floor, and I can fight." He said, "Oh no, 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 he never fights. Doctor Who never fights." I said, "Okay, fine." Anyway, we concluded the interview, and uh, I went home. Didn't get the job, obviously. Tom Baker, who I thought was absolutely wonderful as Doctor Who, um, he got it, and two episodes in, he's knocking lumps off somebody. So I thought, <laughs> "How dare they say?" Don't have to fight. Yeah. But that was the nearest I got to playing him. Mm, just an interview. Failed. <laughs> it's, but it's something you've watched, is it? Oh, yes, yes, I love it, yeah. I mean, you know, the, well, I like to watch actors working anywhere and to see all the different guys, different interpretations. I quite like Patrick Troughton. He was, he was good. I like Pertwee, I must say, but I thought Tom was the best. I mean, commanding and slightly potty, you know. Coming up at the end of the podcast, you'll be able to enjoy David Warner acting opposite his partner, Lisa Bauman, in Doctor Who, The New Adventures of Bernie Summerfield, Lost in Translation, and a rather lovely two-hander by James Goss entitled Inertia. But first, let's go back to 2006, uh, when I was lucky enough to have a chat with David during the recording of the fifth Doctor adventure, Circular Time. You know, as I said before... He wasn't really interested in being interviewed, but we'd we'd clearly we it must have been through uh, nebulous. We'd sort of got to know each other, and I said, "Well, we'll just have a chat." He said, "Well, I've got nothing to say." And then you know you can tell at the beginning of the interview he's kind of making a thing of not wanting to talk, but you know 
he did chat and it was really nice. And I remember, you know, having a fun time. Here it is. During the recording of our January 2007 Doctor Who release, Circular Time, I caught up with guest star David Warner. Well, you're no stranger to Big Finish, are you, David? No. <laughs> it's going to be like that. It's, I, can I just say to the listener that it's, it's, he's looking great? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm no stranger, thank goodness, because I really love working with, with this particular company. I love doing these, uh, the CDs, any kind of CDs that they produce, and I'm asked to be, and I really love doing, and I mean that. Oh, that's great. What is it in particular? Don't have to shave. You can come in looking like crap, which of course I do anyway. No, you know, I mean, it's just uh, it's just the relaxed atmosphere and the people are smashing. And you, uh, you always meet new, and I have always met new and interesting people doing these CDs. Sounds stupid, but I mean, it's work. And uh, that's what I do. And I love it. A- any medium. I mean, um, I've done films and stage and TV, etc. Th- these are an added bonus, and I really do like it. Who have you met today that you didn't, you hadn't met before? Peter Davidson I hadn't met before. Yeah. In fact, there's so many people, English actors, uh, that I haven't met that uh, I usually meet them here in the studio. I uh, know today's Peter Davidson, who I hadn't met before. Of course, I've seen on many occasions. Don't pin me down on all the people I'm. No, no, you know, no, no, I mean, no, actually, actually, I meet new people who the public haven't necessarily heard of, which yeah. is just a, a great pleasure. You know, I mean, it's not just celebrities that make the programmes and make the fun for me. Who are you playing in this one? Oh, Sir Isaac Newton pops in, has a little bit of a tete-a-tete with the Doctor, and uh, great fun. Great fun. Another lion, I shall have the guards take the girl away for... Questioning. No, no, that won't be necessary. This silver one, 1978, it shows a man, not a king, a plain man. How can you tell? No laurel. Laurel? No crown. No name. He seems to have been written as quite irascible, if that's... Yeah, a bit irascible and um, could be, I suppose, semi-villainous, but not really in the end, etc., etc., you know, and um, it's, it's just great fun. There's a bit of comedy in there, isn't there, really? Hopefully, yes. <laughs> Always say hopefully. Um, yes, just in the way, you know, that, that he speaks. I mean... Uh, but then again, of course, this isn't to be taken too seriously anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, sort of the, the doctor has a couple of one-line put-downs or whatever, and, it, and it's good to be able to sort of um, do that oneself, the character that you're playing. I mean, in fact, I played a Doctor Who in one of the, uh, the others, which was all, also great fun. I am the doctor. Blimey. Slip of the scalpel, then. But don't worry about it, matey. Everyone's on the run from something. Something they'd done. Or something they didn't do, and we call them filth. Failed in London, try, try on Kong. Listen, you two, I don't like that kind of talking here. Marcus is out of you, don't mind him. If you can't behave like gentlemen, then find somewhere else. Is that clear? Yes, sir, Brigadier. Aye, aye, Brigadier. <laughs> yes, sir. Brigadier? Wait a minute. But all the characters in this have what we call in the business a kind of backstory, you know. You read in the script a guard and a jailer. And while they all have their own personalities and you actually know about their families as well. So it's, it's really, you know, it's really rather interesting uh, from that, that aspect as far as I'm concerned anyway. Will that be all tonight, Sir Isaac? As an alchemist who deserves the last meal, I saw your wife with food. It will save time if you take it up to them now. You're sure they wouldn't prefer something cold, sir? You heard my command. The prisoners are valuable to me, and so check the food for poison. Very good, sir. If they die, it will be for God, the King, and my amusement. Fail me, and I'll drown your children like a sack full of kittens. Non-poison foodies, sir. At once. If anyone interrupts me without good reason, I want their toenails torn out and fed to the ravens. Yes, sir. Ravens don't like toenails. Titles, maybe. Presumably you've done BBC radio stuff before, have you? I've done some, but not as much as I'd like to be quite... Why do you ask that? Well, because there's a completely different method of working, isn't there, really? Because here we're in booths. 
for recording? Uh, yeah, well, they tend to, uh, yes, they tend to have you in a bigger open space inside and, and doors up, uh, closing and opening and, you know, sort of people walking on cobbles and, and, you know, shingle and stuff to walk down a gravel path and all that. Uh, and you move to different rooms in order to get different sort of atmospheres. Um, apart from that, it's still the same fun. It's just that we do all that stuff that you're talking about in post-production. Yeah, so yeah. these sessions are just about the voice, Absolutely. Really, the no, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, you know, having to pour your own cups of tea and hold a script. I mean, no, actually, the, <laughs> what is so funny is you're reading a script of the Beeb or wherever it may be, and then somebody in front of you uh, starts pouring a cup of tea if your character has to pour. But you actually sometimes have to do your own walking and talking at the same time on the gravel path, as I said. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's different. But then I'm not a technician. Uh, yeah, it's great that all that kind of stuff is done away from us we we do our bit and go but it doesn't you, you couldn't you wouldn't know the difference i don't think you've played a doctor for us you've done a doctor who doctor and you've uh, your steel in sapphire and steel yeah there was someone yes i thought so was she very pretty probably probably really that's irrelevant Oh, is it? To the work. Oh. We worked well together. Oh, I see. You worked together. In the war, was it? Yes, you could say that. And she died? No, not died. I, she disappeared. Oh. And now Isaac Newton... What other sort of things would you like to do? Oh, no, seriously. I mean, I'm up for anything. I really am up for anything. I mean, I just, I do adore, I really, how camp it sounds. I adore it. I really yeah. love it. I mean, it, you know, my agent called and said, would I like to come and work for Big Fan? I just smile at the other end of the phone and say, yes, when is it? You know, oh, no, you don't have to send me a script. That's, you know, you don't have to, I mean, it's just not, that's not the issue. Because, they're, they're, A, they're always fun and good. And uh, as I say, I mean, it's just delightful to come here and do it. But talking about the Doctor Who I did, of course, and I'm sure devoted listeners will know that in my episode, young David Tennant makes an appearance way before he even dreamed he would be playing the Doctor on television. Hello there. Who the bloody hell are you? Colonel Brimcombe Wood, may I present the doctor? <laughs> Lethbridge, why am I not surprised? It's Lethbridge Stewart, actually. This is a closed crash site. It's no place for amateur idiots. Collector's item. I've got about ten copies, and they're, they're quite expensive, actually. And uh, look, look them up on eBay, see how much they're going for. <laughs> the brilliant David Warner there, referring to sympathy for the devil's guest star, David Tennant. Oh. I just wanted to mention before, just before we go on, you know, how much fun we had with David Warner. And, you know, like many behind the scenes things that happen, they're sort of unrepeatable in polite company. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the green room. Uh, you know, there was one time when uh, I think it was fairly on in our working relationship where he was in a booth where I couldn't see him. So every time I gave him notes, I was just, I didn't hear anything. And I, and I just said, uh, David, uh, I mean, are you hearing what I'm saying and are you thinking I'm a complete expletive deleted for giving you these notes? Or I just need just need to know whether I'm on the, uh, the right track here. And he was, you know, oh, no, no, it's fine. No, I just agree with everything you say. <laughs> you know, but, you know, because I couldn't see him, I was starting to project my own anxiety onto, you know, and you, as you said, you, you start to think of him as the ultimate evil being in the universe in time bandits or whatever. And you think he, yeah. may, he may send a, an electric bolt at you and disintegrate you, you know, but well, you he do. was always so that. affable. Yeah. That's the, the, so that, yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? It's, it's like in, in Hornblower where he plays, oh, yes. he plays a, a terrifying captain in that one. And so when I think of him, I just think of his absolute stony face in that looking right it just looks through the screen at you and makes you feel absolutely makes you feel so small yes because yes. he's so formidable there but then as you rightfully say just you know a lovely lovely man yeah i, I remember uh you hear some of it in the earlier package about uh cuthbert uh, but there's no context for it where you hear the entire cast going e by gum at him and he goes oh sorry sorry sorry, sorry. because his his deal about playing Cuthbert I said well you know he's he's meant to sound like he's from the north and you're from the north 
he said patronizingly, David. And he said, yeah, but I don't do accents. I don't. And that was his big thing. Again, anyone who's worked with David or who knows him well, when they hear that phrase, yeah, he always says that. I don't do voices. I don't do I just, you know, you know, you know. I don't need to tell you, you know. Um, and uh, so I said, but I'd like him to have a tinge of a northern accent. And he said, well, and I think he'd asked another director, a you know, far more famous, prestigious one previously to do this with him. And he said, well, the deal with him was that before every take, you have to say to me, e by gum, and then I'll remember <laughs> to do the accent. So I used to go, OK, uh, let's do this scene. Uh, stand by. And David, e by gum and Q. Uh, but <laughs> as you heard earlier on that, that package, the, the whole cast joined in at one point. Because <laughs> they do a perfect take. I just think I need it to be a bit more northern. So I just rather than say that i just go e by gum david go yes yes all right yes yes (laughs) anyway as i said earlier uh, we hope to restore the podcast to its usual format next week we'll also be reading out some of your emails on the subject of the two great performers we've been chatting about today in the meantime look after yourselves and thanks for being with us Time now for David Warner and Lisa Bauman in Lost in Translation, Inertia by James Goss and directed by Scott Handcock with music and sound design by Steve Foxen. Day one. I've turned the TARDIS off, Summerfield. Have you got everything you need? Uh, yeah, blankets, books, biscuits. Three bees. The ones with the little chocolates you get. Yes. Good, I like that. Oh. No going back. The little chocolatey bits, you sure? Yes, but, uh... Oh, Doctor! Yes? You're being hunted by the Time Lords, the most powerful race in creation, and you're worried about... Biscuits, yes, the important things. There's a hat this way. But... They've got the most sophisticated tracking technology ever devised, and, and this is really how you're planning on eluding them? Absolutely. Look around you. This is a drab planet at the dull end of a dim galaxy. They're not going to look for us here. And if they do, the TARDIS is turned off. So, we're just two ordinary people. For a few days. A week. A month. Until they get bored. Mm. We can do ordinary. Right. I mean, what do ordinary people do? Well... I'll tell you the answer. Nothing. That's all we have to do. Now look at this hut. What a perfect nothing of a hut. Oh, yes, this is ghastly. Splendid. Yes, yes, we can do nothing for a month. Can we? Day one. Still day one. A three. A two. A five. Come in, number six. Oh, no. See, nothing out there. Uh, Hardly nothing. On the contrary, Summerfield. No. This is a nothing of a world. I don't know. There's some hillocks. Could be ruins. There are always ruins. Doesn't mean it's significant. The civilization was born here, didn't have the sense to leave, died out. There's a few islanders, leftovers, habitually incurious. They never tried leaving. Is there anything beyond? Not really, no. Oh. Not anything else? I mean, are they going to eat us? I shouldn't think so. They eat eggs. Bird eggs? No, some kind of sea creatures. We'll call it a monster. Monsters always sound more interesting, don't they? 
The monster lays the eggs, the islanders eat the eggs, the monster eats the islanders. Twas ever thus. Oh, too, honestly. And let me guess, the islanders worship the sea monster? A bit, I guess, but they see it as an angry god. Because of the unhappiness over the egg eating? Quite. Ha! A six! I got that first go. Must be my lucky day. Is there anything you don't cheat at? I never cheat. No? No. Let's have a game. Only... What? I'll let you be the little shoe. Only you know how we're forbidden from going into the TARDIS. Absolutely. If we go in there, it may alert the Time Lords. Out of bounds. But that board game, we didn't pack it. So, where did it come from? Or the top hat. I'll let you be the top hat. Day two. Tea? Oh, got anything else for breakfast? <sighs> Look at this. Oh, what is it? Because if it's not a warm pastry, what is it? Nah. It's my sourdough starter kit. You're what? Sourdough. It's what ordinary people do with their time. I'm ordinary now, so I make sourdough. How, how does that become sourdough? Not a clue. But evolution can't be stopped and she's full of surprises. She is. Mmm. Good tea. Isn't it? It's my reward for winning last night. You changed the rules while we were playing. Evolution can't be stopped. Right. Point is, I only bought the normal tea bags from the TARDIS. So, you also went back and got these. Conclusion? When I run out of books, I can go back and get some more. Out of the question. We're in deadly peril. Only someone with an innate temporal relationship to a TARDIS can be trusted to venture inside it. And get tea bags. Fine. Three books a week. Really? Four. I will make one trip to the TARDIS for books a week. Four books. Five. Four. There. Isn't it good we've got some rules? Here, have a biscuit. The chocolatey ones. We ran out. These are fig rolls. <sighs> Day three. What are you doing, Summerfield? Examining the hut. It's a hut! Yes, but who built it? It's not like any of the islanders' dwellings have been down and checked. And? They're completely disinterested in me. They gave me the once-over, got on with what they were doing. A very Galapagos response. I'm not a predatory sailor and they're not a delicious and soon-to-be-extinct bird. The month is young. The islanders could be quite tasty. Well, if your sourdough fails. Good to know we have a plan B. Plain as this hut is, I think it's extraterrestrial in origin. You found an alien shed? Yeah, I think so. Remnants of a survey team, perhaps? Surveying what? Or maybe there's more to this island than we realise. Ah, uh ah, -uh, Summerfield. Remember, we do nothing. And that's just what I am doing. I'm not excavating, I'm just... Speculating. See the uneven surface of the ground over there? Yes! Yes! I think so. There might be something down here. The ruins of a settlement? Whatever it is, it's been down there a long time, so it can stay a little longer. Ah, the archaeologist's motto. Summerfield, we agreed. We are having a rest. We are relaxing. I am relaxing. I'm often at my most relaxed. Digging. We are not going to the TARDIS for your travel. No need. I brought one with me. Just in case. Don't be a tick. Why can't you leave well alone? We made a life through words. And now it's gone. 